it's a new a new ish phase in my life of campaigning and living the life of a very disabled person mm-hmm. and i'm going to embrace it i am embracing it and life is good hi i'm brooke melhouse welcome to disabled and proud the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin each week the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability why they're proud to be disabled and why they're proud to be themselves. Mark, welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? Fine. I, I'm melting. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're talking during a bit of a, well, it's, it's all relative in the UK, isn't it? But a bit of a heat wave. And um, I, I suffer during that. But, you know, I could be worse. Yeah. I mean, it's actually so nice to have the sun out, isn't it? Even if it's super warm. It's just nice to have everything light and like the nights are longer. It's I love the summer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, we'll get on to my condition, but actually I, I like spring and autumn. I can't be too cold. I can't be too hot. Um, but um, yeah, it looks nice out there. Mm, for sure. So I'm going to ask you my first question. And that is, ah. how do you refer to your disability? Pain in the ass, <laughs> or um, multiple sclerosis, or um, and it's not a technical way of describing it, but advanced multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. Now, I actually don't know that much about multiple sclerosis, and from like my knowledge of it, which is incredibly limited, I thought it was muscle wastage, but that's wrong, isn't it? It's, it's it's the nerves that mess up so it's always an icky thought but it's it's your brain and your spinal cord which is um it's an autoimmune so your your brain and spinal cord is attacked by your own immune system and in ms's case um it's the protective sheath around the um the the nerves that's affected and because it's the nerves they go bloody everywhere and you can therefore get a million approximately different symptoms, all of which advance and sort of appear at different times and not at all and heavily and forever and whatever. So your muscles waste because the nerves aren't telling them what to do rather than wastage. Uh But, Yes, wastage can be a, a a result. Yeah. So does that mean, and for me, I always think nerve endings and pain, or that's where you, like your senses, you can feel. Does that mean that for you, you, you can feel pain more intensely? How does, how does that side of it work? Oh, my word. So in, in that specific symptom, I can't feel temperature much. Um, either way, hot or cold, um, which is kind of fine, except during the time when we were bathing our children, I couldn't tell the temperature of a bath. Oh, wow. So that was a pain. Yeah. Um, um, uh, separate to that, because my nerves are essentially buggered, another technical term, I, um, I, I get um, intense nerve pain, which is currently under control with drugs, and I can just feel it creeping back at night time at the moment, but it's it's bearable. So 
nerve pain is different to feeling pain yeah externally yeah I find this fascinating because I think autoimmune like as a conversation is incredibly interesting because I find like the way the body works fascinating and so when we talk about disability and obviously I have a very physical disability so I don't experience the same symptoms that you will and so I always find it incredibly interesting talking about these things because how we now experience navigate the world are going to be completely different even though we're both under this umbrella term of disability and I usually go on to talk to people about childhood but I've read your website which says my childhood was lovely I had a great time yes and so I was wondering actually if we could talk about your diagnosis and how that all came about because I think this is a very interesting topic of conversation because MS autoimmune so does that mean it was there all the time or is it something that comes on with time how does this all work because I'm actually very clueless in this topic no that's fine so um well firstly firstly 83 percent of disabled people that was the latest that I read become disabled Mm -hmm. so you're born believing you're immortal and at some point you're you're not quite as immortal as you thought um but um, uh, MS is typically diagnosed between the ages of 20 and 40. Yeah. Um, so it's a young person's disease, although it's sometimes perceived as an older person's disease because it's progressive yeah. and therefore, um, you know, it emerges later and becomes more apparent later in walking stick and walker wheelchair, yeah. which I'm in. And uh, I've got a suprapubic catheter, which is a, um, a tube coming out of my tummy that um, I can wee out of. So um, I, I, I've got, yeah, a messy version of MS. But um, autoimmune, they don't even understand MS yet, even though it's a very common disease. Um, there's about 130,000 people with MS in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but roughly speaking, the current theory is you're born prone to it. So um, it, it can be slightly in the family. It wasn't in mine, although I had a grandfather with diabetes type one, which is also more autoimmune. Um, uh, so you're born with the, the DNA, the chromosomes that make you like more likely to catch it. Yeah. There's um, vitamin D deficiency, mm-hmm. which means it's very common in uh, away from the uh, equator. So, If you want to get MS, go and live in Canada or Scotland, (laughs) preferably when you're young. Um, And um, then a trigger. And they're not quite sure about it. But the current theory is Epstein-Barr virus, which is a very common virus. I think 95 percent of us get it. Um, That can lead to glandular fever or it can lead to nothing. Um, But that may well be the trigger. But despite many years of research, they don't actually know. But that that's kind of the the lead into it. Yeah, that's the the kind of like the general pattern as such, even though it's still not as well researched as it, you know, as yes. it should be. Which is fascinating, really, isn't it? Because I I love I love this because my brain's going like a hundred miles an hour. <laughs> because it's so interesting that this can happen. Right. So I don't know. For me, I always thought that autoimmune was always like underlying, and then it and then it kind of 
appears and rears its ugly head at any point in time but actually that's not necessarily the truth it can something can trigger something else which in turn causes some form of reaction and that's what you that's what you come out with which I think is so interesting because people often think always I'm gonna say and quite boldly always is that there has to be some form of tragic event tragic accident tragic something that happens that means that you acquire your disability when actually that's not necessarily the case and I love that because it's it's kind of showing the world that actually like your preconceptions around disability are wrong <laughs> well how many preconceptions about disability are wrong but yes there, there's one to add to the list yeah exactly and so what was it like for you getting your diagnosis and and what led you to to go and and get a diagnosis um well it, it ms creeps up on you well for a lot of people it creeps up on you one of the few symptoms that um i haven't yet collected and maybe i never will is optic neuritis uh, as in um i eyes going foggy eyes being limited range um all sorts of you know, spots on your eyes, whatever. I've had no, I've, I've got middle-aged glasses on, that's it. I, I know I look 21, but actually um, I, uh, I'm i a little bit older than that. Um, but um, for me, there were a number of symptoms that I ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one was an intense round of pins and needles all down my left-hand side for three days. Oh, wow. um, I was 1992 and I know it was 1992 because... I was working at the opening of Euro Disney, now Disneyland Paris. Um, And uh, I was living in France and I was, a, like I said, an immortal bloke. Um, I was 23 or 24. So I ignored it and it went away. And um, I carried on with having the best time of my life at Disney. A couple of years later, dodgy bladder. Mm-hmm. Um, I blamed that on too much wine and too much coffee. And in the 90s in France, you could pretty much pee anywhere anyway. So yeah. I visited many a, a gatepost and um, tree mm-hmm. um, and whatever and had the odd accident, but ignored that and thought it was come some kind of secret sect of men that had the odd accident but never talked about it. Yeah. Um. And a couple of times in the next few years, I was running through treacle. My let, you know, my, and I thought that was being unfit, but that's a very different sensation. Your legs just aren't obeying. Um, And um, erectile dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And funnily enough, I went to the doctor about erectile dysfunction. (laughs) Um, uh, um, So, and at that point, the blue pill had was just coming on the market mm-hmm. but at the time to test i had to have an um an injection into my willy which was yeah. oh um and i went i drove into paris to get it done and even as i walked out of the um i'm sorry i'm going to be a little bit crude in this bit of the conversation but i i even as i walked out of the room i was getting a a stiffy the size of my gear stick of my car <laughs> and um i drove home which was about an hour um and by the time i got home i was in agony from an hour of an erection yeah that 
you know, not, 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 you know, being careful which, which one I, which gear stick I re- reached for. Yeah. And um, I had to call the doctor and say, I can't, this is too bad. I, it hurts too much. Yeah. And so I had to drive back into um, the doctors and the, the specialists and have a cannula into my willy to take some blood off. Wow. And he said, so it's all in your head, isn't it? Which, of course, it was in a sense. But I then put that down to, you know, the guilt, either the alcohol or the guilt of um, being a floozy because I was or, or whatever. And again, I didn't put that together. So blue pill took the romance out of many of my liaisons. But, you know, yeah. if you waited an hour, we could have some fun. Um, so I, so all those ones I parked. Um, I met my wife 1999, so seven years um, after um, uh, my first symptoms, the pins and needles. And it wasn't until, and we married that same year because we loved each other and we still do. Um, and um, it wasn't until 2007 I was diagnosed. And the cause of that, we'd had our first son mm-hmm. um, and in the morning uh, my my wife had noticed a couple of things but uh, in the morning um, after a night feed that i got up i i told my wife i couldn't stand up for a moment and i know it was my turn and i did it but i just couldn't get up yeah. and she said look we need to go to the doctor and i was sent to a neurologist which is a brain specialist mm-hmm. and a urologist which is a down below waterworks specialist yeah. Um, and between them, I got a relatively quick diagnosis, albeit 15 years late, yeah. of um, MS. Um, you go for an M- MRI, they stick pins all over your feet to see what your sensations are. They they check your balance with your eyes closed. They do the touch your nose stuff. Yeah. Um, they do some test of the, your eyes reactions to dots on the screen. But it was about a three-month process, which is relatively fast for an actual diagnosis. Yeah. And that, in and of itself, the fact that you ignored symptoms, but you didn't necessarily know that they were symptoms is, again, and it just goes to show that if I had those symptoms, I would also have done the same because my knowledge of MS is is so limited. Mm. And it just, that blows my mind because... how many people are now walking about with said symptoms and actually it's it's this it's the marker actually of something starting that you know you could actually I don't know if you can help prevent you know it getting progressive or not but you you know you at least have a diagnosis of what's going on and and you would know what's going on as well because I'm sure at some points you were a bit like what the hell is going on with my body like why do these things seem to be happening I I uh, I was so ignorant and happy yeah enjoying my life that I didn't the 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 stupid thing is those pins and needles were the only one that really struck me um and I thought I'd had a minor stroke which of course you should go straight to the doctor yeah (laughs) um but uh, that that was literally the only one I thought the others were just like a part of I didn't I didn't link them up at all yeah wow and then what's it 15 years after your first symptom yeah wow 
Uh, like, That's long-ish, but not the longest I've heard. Yeah, well, I can imagine because particularly I think around like autoimmune and in my head I'm thinking particularly of of EDS because I know a lot of people who have got EDS and how long it takes for EDS to be diagnosed because we don't necessarily know much about these things doctors do like to say it's all in your head you're faking it and and you yourself experience that yes and I just think, how wild is it that we've got to a point where doctors can turn around and you can hand them symptoms and they can be like, it's all made up. Like, yeah. you're not experiencing that. That doesn't exist. <laughs> I d- no, it, it's crazy, though. Um, You know, I, I, I'm a kind of no regrets person. I don't regret that 15 years of not being diagnosed because at the time there was little or nothing to be done for MS. Mm-hmm. Um, So... You know, I lived on in happy ignorance. Um, um, But nowadays, um, it's uh, there's so many treatments and and ways to deal with MS that uh, nowadays I'd have wanted a quick diagnosis. Yeah. And actually, let's talk about your career as you got diagnosed with MS, because I think it's always really interesting how disability can impact or like on the other hand can completely not impact your career and and if it changes how it changes and also I think a lot of people do end up changing what they what they do when they do get a diagnosis of some form of disability and what was what was that like for you? Um, I am so lucky I've had this this amazing life and career Mm -hmm. and I intend to carry on but um, I have had a wonderful time. So I had 10 years at Disney, all of them ill, but just amazing. Um, theme park, uh, Walt Disney TV and Walt Disney Company corporate. So it was just Super. wonderful. And my wife worked for Disney and she worked for the stores and everything else. I had some time working for David Lloyd Leisure, um, which is the health and fitness gang. Yeah. I did triathlons. In retrospect, they were pretty tough with my MS mm-hmm. undiagnosed. But it was, I had recently joined Dixon's when I, uh, which is now Curry's PLC. So yeah. the 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 stores that were Curry's PC World, um, Dixon's Travel, and then we merged uh, with Carphone Warehouse to become Dixon's Carphone, which after I left became Dixon's Carphone, Dixon's uh, became, became Curry's PLC. But at the time, um i was um the most senior comms person um for the company yeah. not for the uh soft fun pr stuff getting nonsense in the paper it was about results and working with your ceo and um crisis management and stuff like that and um, when I was diagnosed, I, I kind of point to three things that were just amazing. So when I was diagnosed, I I flipped and I went straight. I didn't know what MS was. Yeah, I, I confused it with MND, the one that um, you know just um, it's got you got Rob Rob Burrows at the moment in his, um, his the the rugby league player yeah. who um, Kevin Simfield's been running the marathons for. Um, and with mm-hmm. um, um, uh, ME is the, the fatigue 
illness yeah. I thought maybe it was that I, I just didn't know so I went to Dr Google and it was just I decided I had about 10 minutes to live because of <laughs> course on, on Google you find all the worst case yeah. scenarios so I took two weeks away from work and while I was away all my team got together and did some research into MS about uh, what was MS and also what I would be experiencing and going through and yeah. all that and everything else so the magic of when I went back um, was um, just that everybody was approachable and normal with me yeah now I I talk about it often but when you are diagnosed with a nasty disease just as if you are you know sorry with a disability just as if you are diagnosed with cancer or you have a stillborn baby, or just something really traumatic, you lose friends. Yeah. Not because, no, well, a tiny percent of them might be nasty, but most of them just don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to approach you. So they ignore you. <coughs> and this, is, this isn't COVID, by the way. Um, I checked. Um, <laughs> it's okay. We can, still, we can still kiss. Um, I can't wait. Oh, jolly good. Um, I'll just have to get my wife's permission. Um, <laughs> um, sorry, lost track again. Oh, my word. Talking about when you moved to Dixon's and yeah, yeah. The so, were- so they were just so supportive mm-hmm. and not one of them sort of treated me differently or um uh, treating me less or anything else and that was wonderful so so that was experience number one um at that point i was probably verging on the what we call walking drunk in in terms of disability Uh Um, i then went through um and i didn't have to change roles at the time but i was i then went on um i can remember my first day walking in with (laughs) a walking stick yeah um then uh, crutches and a walker and eventually a wheelchair but if I roll back to the walking stick stage um at some point I was called in my by my boss who was on the exec board of a big company Mm -hmm. and my HR director and what I feared was either the guilty check as in yeah. you're not coping have have 10 grand off you go into the sunset there there mark or being made chief photocopier yeah to put me in the corner and keep me employed and what they did was magical they said roughly speaking mark we love what you do you haven't let us down yet but you're going to start to struggle what role would you like to do that will help us as a business and will help you keep going. And that was like, wow. Um, And at the time, um, Twitter was emerging as a real power Mm -hmm. um, and and as was all social media, but Twitter, particularly in the business sphere. And we decided on, (laughs) and I'd been talking, the same journalist who I used to get drunk in London with and Mm -hmm. see every quarter for the results and for crises and whatever. <laughs> and um, 
I suggested head of corporate social media. So again, not retweet to win a washing machine, but, you know, um, working with my CEO to get him noticed um, on Twitter Mm -hmm. um uh working with the corporate result the corporate team and my replacement who joined partly because she saw how well they taught me they looked after me um and um so I did that and the magic of that was one in business terms we turned my CEO who's now the FTSE one so he he became the most followed tweets FTSE 100 twitterer well on the FTSE 100 um so and that was me nagging him I never let I never made I never wrote for him we we let it be his authentic words so he gained a following I gained a bit of business and a journalist following and a um, a fan base of Dixon's people and the corporate side would often be printed in newspapers um you know as a little headline as a little thing and i had tweets printed my ceo had pre tweets printed and the corporate dixon's carphone plc and and tweets printed so that was just wonderful for the business yeah um and for me i could start to remote work before it was a thing before um, i i could tweet from bed I could whatever I could just keep functioning so that was that was magical bit number two yeah and then magical bit number three was a few years later we had moved from Hammer Hempstead which I'm I'm very near to I live on the Dunstable Downs okay. um, right near to Whipsnade Zoo I'm pointing over there as if you can see the lions and I can't see the lions either <laughs> But on a good day, I can hear the lions and the chimps and the elephants, which is very weird for Bedfordshire. Yeah. Um, but uh, we had moved after the merger to Acton, mm-hmm. which was a long commute. Um, and um, it was getting harder. And even though I had moved, by the way, when I moved, when I changed jobs, I moved to a four day week, even though I was still paid five days which was the other thing that they gave me. Amazing. Um, And I I went to them and said, look, I I can't cope. I need to go. Mm -hmm. And without any kind of negotiation, they gave me a big payoff. Yeah. And again, they didn't need to. There was no redundancy at the time. There was nothing. They were just lovely. So I've got no shares, no involvement, no, no attachment to Dixon's. Most of the people who work for them then have moved on because it was six or seven years ago. Yeah. And I'm still, you can hear me talking about them yeah. proudly. I still retweet results, still talk to the journalists because they treated me. Well, I, you know, I was incredibly grateful, but that should be the norm. Yeah. And also what I think is, is really poignant actually is that you you're one of the very few people I know who've been treated well by their employers when a diagnosis has been given. But equally in saying that, I think they did that because they probably just loved you as who you were, regardless of what had gone on. And and I think actually 
that's a really lovely thing like your team went away and researched your diagnosis to to support you and and not many people get that like regardless of where they work and regardless of who they work with and I think that's actually such a marker of who you are as a person because they've wanted to support you and that in itself is like made my heart really warm and I'm like that's like the loveliest thing ever (laughs) well it, it is but it's it's you know it's why you campaign why I campaign it's just it it wasn't particularly difficult for the company yeah to do that and you know they've got this free of charge ambassador forever yeah um so it, it was a win-win and and that's that's what's so hard to communicate to businesses mm-hmm. you know the you know the purple pound how how yeah. much we've got to spend and how much we will decline to spend if something is inaccessible whatever inaccessible means to us digitally or a ramp or whatever um and it's just a win-win to look after disabled people as people yeah and I would actually love to talk to you about how you then transition from working at Dixon's to then going into what you do now Because the reason I found you is through LinkedIn and through a lot of other people who've been like, talk to Mark, talk to Mark, talk to Mark. And I was like, okay, who is Mark? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, um, I, um, so so actually one last thing about Dixon's. When I left, I wrote a LinkedIn piece. Yeah. Listing those three things. And I did it very succinctly. And um, I'm not saying I'm the first person who wrote the standard, oh, I've been so proud to work at X, yeah. but it did feel relatively early on in that, in mm-hmm. that you know, everybody writes that now. Yeah. But I wrote that and it went viral and it got 875,000 views. Um, it was just, it was bonkers. And um, I, um, I was offered a job uh, a couple of jobs so some advisory work for an seo company mm-hmm. i still don't uh, uh, understand seo but i i don't know i i did it i got yeah. some shares um and i work i got approached by shift.ms which is a charity mm-hmm. that works for um to, it's a, a social network for MSs, people with ms um and uh, there's 50,000 worldwide i did one day a week and set up their PR, got some nice coverage and started talking and, and just accepting my disability. I, I I can remember the time I went into a Costa. This is still back to Dixon's days, but I went into a local Costa um, and I was starting to be, like I said, walking drunk. And I said, I'm I'm partially disabled. Would oh, you wow. mind? Would you mind bringing my coffee over? Because I couldn't quite say disabled. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I came to this sort of gradual acceptance of disability, mm-hmm. um, which I clearly now fully embrace. <laughs> um, and, um, I talked on LinkedIn. Um, I already had some speaking engagements through my Dixons and then shift.ms and I turned it into a skill and, um, I just, I just waffle away on, on, on LinkedIn, I tweet a little. I tweet less than I did, but I've got a good following there. Um, I find it a little bit of an angry place now, um, and I just tout around for business and and, and speaking. 
Yeah. I think it's really important what you said about your journey to to accepting disability because obviously you now fully embrace it and your positivity posts of the day are always like a highlight for me to read on LinkedIn. It is a journey for everyone and I think we need to kind of to to push that a bit more because I think people think that you just wake up and suddenly you're like yay like I'm disabled woohoo like I've done it it's I'm accepted it and actually it's a lot deeper than that because it is a definitely a journey for everyone and everybody's journey is wildly different nobody has the same journey as anybody else when it comes to embracing it and for you what was it like like coming to that embrace did you find it hard or was it relatively easy yeah I'm I I can't really separate it from the grief process that I went through from diagnosis so um grief with um MS is kind of ongoing because it every so often you develop a new horrible symptom um so so you or or you just progress so you know the wheelchair comes out and you you dip back into yeah grief and shame and whatever else you 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 feel I never went through the anger bit um um I just accepted it but in in terms of I don't know when I suddenly decided to look sod it let's let's make a let's make a career out of public speaking and and let's be proud to be disabled but it was years it was absolutely you know it was a good few years and like I said there was a a small phase where I was partially disabled which is pretty ridiculous um but you know um I guess I was disabled from the days the first day of those pins and needles technically um but you know that was 20 years before I said I probably said I'm disabled yeah but again like that's so important to share because it is everybody has a completely different journey and and it's not smooth but we would all love and wish and want it to be like the easiest journey in the world to be like oh my gosh done accepted cool in the room but we don't it's not like that and partially that's society's fault because of how society views disability but I think it's so important to share that everybody has some form of journey with acceptance to disability. But once you accept it, oh my God, life becomes so, so different. And Mm. once you accept that you are part of the disabled community and then, you know, even if you just chat with other disabled people, we're like the most welcoming people I've ever met in my life, factually. Yes. And and actually, you know, um, that some of the things that have come out of being disabled, whether that's accepting it or whatever, that uh, I've found nicer things about myself. I've become more empathetic. Yeah. Um, I've met amazing people. I've had amazing adventures. And um, disability is, is is a huge part of me, but it's, it, it's a community that is very disparate. And that, that's another reason I campaign so hard. Mm-hmm. It is to have people become proud of being disabled, but also just to accept they're disabled. Yeah. And that they are the largest minority. You know, it's an eternal argument in the diversity argument. There's always about, um, well, gender, um, sexuality, ethnicity. And below that are the three other ones that, you know, it's... um, social mobility age and disability mm-hmm. now they're all really important diverse 
minorities and um, judged against struggling communities, but they're always forgotten or often forgotten. I think the diversity chat is such an interesting one. But we'll, yes. park, we'll park that one for another day. We'll park that one for another day. But I want to talk about your hair. Ah. So for those who can't see, Mark is currently wearing a uh, blue Mohican. Yes. So I, like, I'm all for, and I'd just love to explain a bit more about it. Well, um, I don't know about you, but I resent being stared at um, because of my wheelchair. Uh-huh. So... Um, I decided to have, I never, I, I, I totally embrace um, middle age. I, I've, I've got no worries about um, my age. So I've had no midlife crisis, but I decided to have a midlife crisis and um, wear silly clothes and do silly things with my hair as a way of saying, what are you looking at? Are you looking at a man, a middle-aged man wearing silly clothes or are you looking at my wheelchair? and it's just that so I have fun my poor wife despairs (laughs) Um, my children laugh um and um Amazon does well out of cheap um uh nonsense clothing um so that's it it's what are you staring at what do you what do you want to ask me talk to me yeah don't don't those rude stares I I I I'm not an angry person, but that that's an area that I really struggle with. Mm-hmm. But you know, just just those sideways glances where they don't think you've noticed. Or um, I, a couple of years ago, I was out um, on the Dunstable Downs on a snowy day and um, my funky wheelchair, which is a very funky motorized wheelchair, flipped over in the snow and everybody it was during lockdown so we were out in the open but everybody was skirting around each other everyone lots of people was were coming in to offer to help and luckily my my 15 at the time 15 year old son could help me out and i saw someone filming me and i i just shouted at him and i just i know he was doing it for tiktok or (laughs) to show his friends or Mm. for laughs and giggles and i just thought you shit yeah so i wear silly clothes i i i've got multiple colors of mohican to wear um purple is one that'll come out for a couple of events coming up because that the symbolic color of disability um it's a bit of a laugh yeah but i really love that because i think you're right there is staring when it's rude and and people don't know what there is sometimes when people don't know where to look and they're very they they try and they try not to make eye contact because they feel so uncomfortable but then there's this particular type of staring that makes you uncomfortable because the way they're looking at you and it's not that they're looking at you as a person they're looking at you as other as an object as something that's so different from them and to the point where you're right it's like it's it's eerily uncomfortable and it's not a nice experience but I love the fact that you're taking that and having these like horrible experiences like kind of flipping it on its head and being like well actually fuck you yeah Yeah, no absolutely um and I you know when kids look at you it's fine and and often 
it's an it's an opportunity to educate mm-hmm. um if if it's right i'll engage with them otherwise you know you'll see the mum telling them off for staring or something <laughs> um and you have to leave it but you know I'll, I'll often engage with um younger audiences but when it's adults they they just should know better uh, I'm I'm so with you on that. Adult staring is incredibly different to children staring. Yes. I love kids. I think they're great. I sometimes actually know. I was about to say I sometimes wish I still had my kid brain, and then I realised that actually I do. Um, and sometimes that can be problematic for me. <laughs> but but adults adults not knowing and staring and just it, just encapsulating rudeness is so unnecessary, particularly in society where people educate for free right and particularly when the all the material is out there and also manners exist like manners is just not staring you don't need to look i'm i'm just doing like my daily stuff i'm going to sainsbury's or i'm going to the co-op i'm picking up a pint of milk it's really not that interesting you don't need to look (laughs) simple as it is anyway we'll we'll campaign on that we will so I like to ask if you have a piece of advice for a younger version of yourself, but also for a younger person with the same disability as you. So, um, first of all, no advice for myself. I love that. Because I'm, well, like, like I said, there's not a lot could have been done mm-hmm. and I've led a very happy life. So, boom. I've just had so many adventures. It's, I, you know, you could do a whole podcast about all the nonsensing I've done. Mark and um, his nonsense. Yeah. I, I I don't know if you've seen on my positivity posts, I often use the word nonsensing. It's, a, it, I should trademark it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, non, so, so no advice for myself because wonderful wife, wonderful kids, three cats and a turtle, lovely house. Um so that's that's like in terms of um, advice to somebody recently diagnosed, mm-hmm. it is to um, immediately start looking after yourself um, because the treatments are so good now that if you if you take the correct medications, if you eat healthily, exercise, practice mindfulness, you are. I don't know the statistics, but 90% unlikely to get like me. You could live a pretty normal life. And there's one neurologist um, in the US called Aaron Boster. He talks about make MS boring, as in a little bit like AIDS. You know, it was terrifying in the 80s and 90s. And nowadays people live with it and they're, they're relatively fine. And we're getting there with MS. So it would just be... This is a serious disease, but you can make it boring by just doing the right stuff early on. I love that, make it boring, because it it takes every single piece of like scared or unknown or like just general worry out of it that actually, because let's be honest, we're not really ever worried about things that are boring. When were you? When was the last time you were worried about something that you were like, "This is boring as," <laughs> like never? And actually, taking that and flipping it so that you're making MS boring is powerful, and it's making it, yeah, like th- th- these things happen. But actually, life 
can be lived and life goes on and and it makes I mean obviously it's going to make some difference but it's not going to be this massive big thing that it was when people first started getting diagnosed with it yeah no absolutely and and I'll say it again I've had an amazing life but you know I'd I'd rather have not had MS Mm. I'd rather still be working full-time um but I've just had a brilliant time but but somebody diagnosed now really doesn't have to face much touch wood shouldn't face too much of a challenge with MS yeah I like to think that when we go through hardship if we can notice a positive trait about ourselves, and we've learned something through that and I was wondering if through any hardship that you've had throughout your life, is there a particular positive trait about yourself that upon reflection you're really proud of? I don't know where my my positivity comes from. I, I've had a really tough time. <clears throat> um, the year I met my wife, we burnt our flat down in Paris. Like oh, It burnt down, lost everything. Um, I lost my sister to alcoholism. And we were very close. Yeah. I've got MS. My son was hit by a car. Big time. Oh my goodness. He's fine. And yet I've just, I've always bounced back. And I, I really, I don't know how to answer this. So yes. I, 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 I think a false smile, you know, we know about, suicidal tendencies and depression and everything else and i've been very lucky that ms can actually be a symptom of not just not just because you're anxious about ms but it can actually be a symptom because your brain is tweaked of depression i just haven't i've just gone through life um happy in love um blessed with opportunities and I I can't put that down to a trait. So so I was going to say when I said about suicide, I, I wonder if the fact of just smiling and laughing is 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 the background to it all. Yeah. Is just look, just get on with it, Mark. You you know yeah, uh, you can say why me, but why not me? Yeah. Oh, like. Firstly, thank you for sharing all that information with me because I appreciate that it's not always easy to talk about difficult things. But secondly, I love that you can't put it down to a trait because I love to ask that question because as human beings, we're not very good at actually looking into ourselves and pointing out good things about ourselves or like, you know, what we're proud of. And so for you to be like, do you know what? I think it's just who I am. That's not a particular trait is so gorgeous because it just it just encapsulates so who you are as a person and I think I read your positivity posts and I love reading them I, I get a real kick out of them because sometimes they're absolutely hilarious but also just who you are as a person you're incredibly funny but also when you talk about disability you make it accessible for so many people which sometimes it isn't accessible for everyone because we're talking about things that you know even though we're the biggest minority not everybody can understand and so I think that that's just you. And I love that because there's no airs and graces. It's just, I'm just Mark. Yes. I'm happy. I'm a bit strange. <laughs> Life is good. Yeah. I've only got one final question for you, Mark. And that is, 
Are you disabled and proud? What do you reckon? I'm going to go with yes, and I think I'm right. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, It's a... It's a new, a new-ish phase in my life of 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 campaigning, and living the life of a very disabled person, mm-hmm. and I'm going to embrace it. I am embracing it, and um, life is good. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on today and for sharing your story and your knowledge and just everything that you've said today. I think is so poignant in so many different ways and. I'm really thankful that you've taken the time out of your day to talk to me because I know that, as you said, sometimes you get some cog fog and the fact that you've decided to spend some spoons or like spend your brain power on me is really appreciated. So I really thank you for that. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to meet you. And we can kiss later. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disabled and Proud. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us to reach more and more people each week. Plus, if you've got a particular highlight, then I'd absolutely love to hear it. Tag me on your Insta stories at Disabled and Proud Podcast.